Well, we talked the last time about being lonely and the need that we have to um, adjust to it some way and to try to deal with it some way. And I want to um, look, first of all, just at a couple of things we do to try to solve our loneliness problems. And some of you, maybe many of you, relate to this. One of the things I've noticed is if we can't get along with people, we end up being lonely and isolated from them. And what, what has happened is we start substitute something for them, and we like to have something live around us. So pets have become a replacement for people in many cases. Now, before you turn me off, uh, because you've already concluded that I hate animals, I don't. We grew up with dogs and cats on our farm. We had dogs and cats in our house when, our, when my boys were growing up in town. And so we, we were not opposed to animals. But you see, if you buy a dog because you can't get along with people, your motivation for buying that dog is wrong. Now, I'm quite sure the dog appreciates it very much, or the cat, whatever you have, or the budgie, or the goldfish, but there's a mo wrong motivation there that may help you, but it's not what God had in mind. Animals are beautiful. They're created by God. They're here for a purpose. And for animals to keep somebody company, it's wonderful. I'm told that in sometimes people, if they have, say, a mother in a nursing home and she liked her dog, they'll bring her dog in and it makes her very happy. That is not wrong. That's just a normal thing. But then again, I'm sure there's lots of loneliness in nursing homes, uh, even though there's many people around them. And so they can be wrong, all right? Some people get very attached to their pets, and it's really sad because there's so many people out there that need our help, our love, our service, and yet we're pouring our time, our love, and our money into animals. And so please take that to the Lord if that's where you are and ask him to show you a better way, all right? Now, we can, another way of solving loneliness is go to alcohol, drugs, food, TV, sports, workaholic. We, you know, those things won't work very long, but what happens, we, do, we can develop addictions to them. And you see, the problem is, alcohol and drugs especially, the more we have, the more addicted we become. When you're addicted, you get to the place where what you had yesterday isn't enough. You have to increase it a bit and then increase it more in a few weeks. And that's why it becomes very destructive. You need help from that. It's not the answer. Get help from the Lord. I want to show you how to do that. In the scripture we read to you from Psalm 68, verse 6, let me read it again to you. It God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And we talked to you about the fact that living in, in an isolation, a loneliness, is like a sun-scorched land. And so what we want to do is look at why rebellious, it says there, the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Why, are, if we're rebellious, does it produce loneliness? And so I have to draw on some of the things that um, have been um, 
learn through experience some of the things that we've listened to and so on. So let's do it. I think the main reason that we have trouble overall in our culture, I said this in part one, the main reason is because we live for ourselves. We're self-centered. We, have, we figure we're kind of the center of the universe or we're, we're important, therefore people should cater to us. People should automatically just like us and want to be friends because we're famous or rich or good-looking or whatever it might be. And you see, all those things are snares or traps that don't work. And so we're living outside of what God created us to be. We decided to manage our own lives. It's like you said to God, you created me, I'm living here with your breath in me to give me life, but I am going to make my own decisions. I'm going to live the life I want to live. I'm going to do what I want to do. Therefore, leave me alone. Now, I know what I'm talking about. When I was a young man in my teenage years, I wanted to go to heaven, but I still wanted to manage my own life. I was raised in a Christian home. I know there's a heaven and a hell from my training, and I decided I want to go to heaven, but I didn't want God to manage my life. I wanted to manage my life. So I had a lot of turmoil in my late teens and my 20s. Just how do I walk here? How do I get to manage my own life, do what I want to do, but still get to heaven? It's a dilemma. I have the answer now. You can't. Doesn't work. There's many stories in the Bible that prove that. Many stories I've heard that I know from listening to them, they're going the wrong way. And you see, when we said to the Lord, not necessarily in words, but in action, when we said to the Lord, I'm going my own way, I'll make my own decision, you set yourself up as a manager, the administrator of your future, of your life, and God is a polite and a, and a, a manly God. He simply backed off and said, go ahead, do it your way. Because he does not force himself on any of us. He waits for the invitation to come and take over. And so the plan that was outside that I had of what God created me for. Now, what did he create me for? He created me to be family, as I said in the first part. He's a family person. He wants to have family. He loves family. And he takes us, and out of our sin that we created, our sin, it may not be robbing bags and killing people. It may be just that we haven't put him first in our life. That's the first commandment Jesus gave. It's the first three of the Old Testament Ten Commandments. Put God first in your life. But we've broken that by going our own way. If we didn't put God first, we've broken that. But God says, I want to forgive you. You should pay the price of death for that sin. But my son Jesus will die in your place. 
if you repent of that sin, say you're sorry to me, and ask me to come and renew your, my spirit. Ask him to renew your spirit. And you say he wants to bring you into that family. And that's where in 1 Peter 1, it tells us he puts the seed in us. When we come out of that water of baptism, he puts that seed in us and he calls me his child. He makes me family. Now what did the first line of Psalm 68 verse 6 say? It says he sets the lonely in families. In family, that's where our joy can be. That's where our happiness can be. And oh, I grieve when I hear the stories of what some people went through because of their family. It's selfish and greed and where the person was put down and tormented in some way. Lord, you can help these people regain what they've lost. I know that for a fact. I know it. And so we have this situation. God created us to be in his family. Now, when I come out of that water, he put his seed in me. I was literally saying by going into the water, I don't want to manage my own life anymore. I don't want to be a administrator. I want you to call the shots in my life, your plan, your way. That's what I want. That's what I was doing. Sad thing to do. Many Christian people have been through water baptism, but have never lived that out. They still take back control of their own life, negating what they did in the water baptism by saying, I died of my old life and I'm living future. They get rid of that just by their actions of taking control of their own life. And the, the wrong teaching is, because you were born again back there, you will automatically get to heaven. The Bible does not con confirm that, that, does not. As a matter of fact, it's clear that if we obey Jesus, then we will have eternal life. If we obey him, read John 14 and even 15 and 1 John. You'll see there over and over, if we obey, then we will have eternal life and the Father will come and live with us. So if I put Jesus first in everything, I'm walking out the obedience. If I put others above myself and before myself, willing to serve them, I'm putting and fill it, fulfilling the second commandment. That's how simple it is. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You can say, Howard, you don't understand. I was raised a whole bunch of rules. I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't go look at that, and I can't play that game. And, and oh, Lord, I lived up. You mean to say, don't those account for anything? Depends what they were, I guess. But the first and the second commandment is there. And in order to help us understand the first commandment specifically, this is what God does all the way through the Old Testament every once in a while and in the New Testament. We're like a bride to his son Jesus. The church is a bride to son Jesus. Now, in a good marriage, the husband does not have a list of all the things his wife can't do. And she doesn't have a list of all the things her husband can't do. But let's focus on the husband's list of things she can't do. Jesus doesn't have that for us. 
A good husband doesn't have that for his wife. She doesn't have to get up in the morning and say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. No, she said, what can I do today to bless my husband? What can I do today? I don't want to do anything that would cause hurt or pain on him or cause him to, to be, be um, disappointed in me. I want to please him and everything. When we respond that way to Jesus, we don't need a list. Because I'm saying, if, if I were to watch that stuff on television, it would grieve the Lord because I'm allowing my spirit to be tainted and spoiled by the garbage that's coming over there. Or the, to go down the pool room and hang around a bunch of guys that are on drugs or promoting drugs or pushing. There's good pool rooms, there's bad ones. I'm talking about the bad ones. My dad said, you don't go to pool rooms. So I thought, if I don't go to pool rooms, maybe I'll get to heaven. That wasn't the point. He was trying to keep me from getting involved in the things of the world. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he told me things I couldn't do. But you see, I misinterpreted. If I don't do those, then I'll go to heaven. Nothing to do with it. A good wife knows without a set of rules and a good Christian knows without a set of rules how we walk before our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Bridegroom-to-be, by the way. Now, God has the answer for all this. Now, when I introduce this in my first number one, part number one, I quoted a line from a psychology website. It said, some people may point to bring fabulous, I'm sorry, some people may point to being fabulous, a person of fame and fortune, attractive physically, gifted in unique areas of life, and so on. I, but then they said at the very end, multiple surveys have shown that friends and family are what we need the most. That's from a magazine called Psychology Today. What's our conclusion? All the things of the world, all the stuff we were told will bring happiness and joy and people and fulfillment and lots of party, all those things have failed so much of society. I'm not saying everybody's there but it is affecting people here and there. There are people out there living all that way, being fabulous, attracting people because of their wealth, but somewhere it's possible it'll fail them. Think of, all, right now we're going through this thing with a whole bunch of Hollywood people, television people, uh, um, business people, um, political people, men mostly who have stepped over the line sexually with a lady somewhere. And now all these ladies are coming forward. Now these poor people, these men, they're getting what they deserve. They shouldn't have done it. They may be a victim of a girl that just wants to destroy them. Oh Lord, I hope I, I, her judgment is going to be severe, believe me. But you see, these men had popularity, they had position, they had lots of friends because they, they were successful. All of a sudden, it's gone. They're being put out of Hollywood. They won't produce their shows anymore. They won't let them start. There's actually stars that have been dropped from movies in the process, and they bring in somebody else. 
What happened to their popularity and all their, all their friends? And their, now I, w- I would guess they're sitting at home, not only in loneliness, possibly even sinking into depression. Why? Because they depended on something else. Let's say a person is a Christian. I know a couple of this happened to a couple of guys that are in well-known ministries. And a girl started to email one of them about a, a spiritual question. So he was answering it. Then she'd ask others. He had answered. And then she said something a little bit suggestive about being together. And he emailed her back and said, no, that's not possible unless my wife comes with it. But she emailed him more stuff. She even sent him a picture then of herself in the nude. He was able to prove from all his emails that he'd answered her with, his, his saying, no, I won't. He wasn't, he didn't lose his position in his ministry. And as far as I'm concerned, he probably hasn't lost his standing in the Christian public eye. He's well known. Some of you know who I'm talking about. But you see, if he hadn't had those emails, if she hadn't, I think if I remember correctly, she finally admitted what she was doing was wrong. She's been charged. If he hadn't done that, let's say he's a victim and no way to prove himself out of it. He, if he knew how to come to the Lord, as I'm going to explain to you, if he knew how to take all this and forgiveness and praying for that girl, blessing her with his prayers and praying for her that that he could love love her in a Jesus-type way, not a sexual-type way, he would be walking free. He might be out of ministry. He'd be walking free from isolation and loneliness. So God has the answer. See, somewhere we created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone. But you see, the Lord has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. So in this, to me, lies one of the keys of being able to deal with this whole issue of being lonely. If I feel lonely, I believe the right position, instead of feeling sorry for myself, instead of trying to get people to sympathize with and trying to get a counselor somewhere to make me feel better with his words. And instead of going to drugs or alcohol or, or the, the TV or the, all the other addictive things that can happen, instead of going to that, why don't we do what the Lord says? Come and spend time with me, he says. See, David knew loneliness. In Psalm 27, starting at verse 4, David knew loneliness. He Listen to where he was. He's hiding in a cave from Saul who was trying to kill him. He's hiding in a cave with 600 undesirable guys that were wanted by the laws, guys that were um, tax evaders or debt um, evaders, whatever you call it. These undesirables had joined themselves to David 
when he was hiding. So they're not very good company. As a matter of fact, one time they lost all their wives and family and possessions because an enemy had overrun their city that they're in while the other while all the guys were out doing war somewhere and they were gone. These guys come back, their wives are gone, and they get upset and they're going to stone David for it. It says that David found strength in the Lord. Everybody's against him. All these six other guys are against him. His wife, his family are all gone. And he found comfort. He found strength in the Lord. Understand, that's the loneliness. Answer right there. Jesus, the Father, getting to know the Father. Getting to know the Father when he came in a man's body called Jesus. God, Emmanuel, God among us. God, Emmanuel, God in a man, it says. Incarnation. God in a man. And see, he has the solution. But we're so busy. Well, I might be going through all this loneliness. I might be even feeling depressions, but I'm going to do it my way. I don't want to submit myself to God because he might demand too much of me. He might whatever. But listen, anytime you give yourself over to the Lord completely under his hand, under his care, as a parent, as a father, as a good father, not like our evil fathers, but as a good father, and I give myself totally to him, he does not, he does not push me into things that are not good for me and good for his kingdom. Both of them, good for his kingdom, good for me. I may not like it for the moment, but the end result is always good. Jesus, pardon me, the Father said in the Old Testament, everything I do, I have a reason for doing it. Everything I do. I have a reason for doing it. And so his answer lies in his presence. This is 1 Timothy 5, 5. They have, Paul's talking to Timothy. He said, he's trying to talk about who should they support, who should they help and who, as a church. The widow who is really in need and left all alone. Notice, that's loneliness. Left all alone. She puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Now, the whole thing is she's alone. She knows where to turn. Paul said, when you see a widow who is lonely, she's living alone, but she's also lonely. You know, she is turning and putting her hope in God. I want you to support from the church somebody like that, because she is going to be fighting night and day in prayer, asking God to help her. What a wonderful, easy, but difficult because of discipline, which a lot of us don't have thing to do. Who is this lady? I'll tell you who she is. She's a lady of victory. She's a lady that's overcome the curse of loneliness. She, she might sit at home alone for a number of days, but there's a fellowship 
that's going on between her and the Father that eliminates that loneliness. There's a fellowship with her older brother Jesus that eliminates that loneliness. And when people around her start to see the glow on her face and the joy that she's living in, they say, well, I'd like to have you in for coffee tomorrow. I would just like to spend some time. Let's go for a walk in the park. I want to tell you why you're, you can be alone, but yet you're so happy. I don't see anything wrong with that, do you? God has the answer. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Why did he go there? To pray. Listen, there was a lot of loneliness in Jesus' life. You see, in Mark chapter 5, for example, the gathering demonic, the man that had 6,000 demons or something like that, running around naked, cutting himself, living in tombs. Nobody could chain him. He chains. Jesus cast that demon out, went into pigs. What did the people from that area, they come out of the city when they heard about this. They saw the pigs that had gone down into the lake and got drowned. And they told Jesus to leave. After a miracle like that, they told him to leave. That's produces loneliness, even with your disciples and, and all the crowds that may have gathered around you when he got in the other shore. He got in the boat and left. He didn't argue with them. I have a good news from that story, by the way. If you, if you bump over into the next chapter, I believe it is. Jesus went back there. I don't know how much later it was, but he went back there. And obviously, while he was away, they talked about it. And they decided we could have taken our sick people, our demon-controlled people, to him. But we missed it. And then he comes back. John 16, a time is coming and has come. He's talking about just before Jesus um, crucifixion. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Glory to God. Listen, just go to our website. Choose the teaching, understanding our value. I want you to get a hold of your position in the fatherhood as part of that family because you cannot live without it. He says, God sets the lonely in families from Psalm 68. He leads forth the prisoners. You were a prisoner, but with singing, you're finished. God bless you. Pray this through. God bless you. Amen. Amen.